Hello and welcome to the Things Post podcast. Today we have with us uh, Shatadru and Ainesh. Shatadru is an advocate at Legal Options, and Ainesh, who has a management background, is also exploring um, the domain of law, working with uh, Legal Options. But at this point, he's like at a crossroads between the two domains, management and law. Um, we are going to discuss um, law in general, but more particularly sports law. It's a domain that we haven't discussed on the podcast before, so it's going to be an interesting introduction to sports law for us. Um, Shatadru, maybe uh, I'll start off with you. Um, can you explain to us your experience working in sports-related projects in the past and maybe in the pre- present if you're working on something currently? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Ranujit. Uh, I would like to thank you for this opportunity to speak on the subject of uh, sports law or the interplay between law and sports. And uh, before uh, I come to, you know, our specific uh, experiences in the field, I would like to briefly discuss uh, what sports law is all about. Uh, Because you see, law is nothing but a set of rules which govern relationships. Relationships which are contractual or relationships which are even non-contractual, but involve uh, individuals and and entities, which may be, may be individuals, may be corporate entities, may be associations of individuals, partnership concerns, etc. But what is fundamental to the applicability of law is that it requires it requires more than one individual, and secondly, it requires some kind of relation. So that relation could be a corporate relation, it could be a jural relation, it could be a contractual relation. Now, the interplay between sports and law also arises because of the, uh, like any other field, as our society progresses and as there are greater complexities, as uh, the scope of things expands, so to say, uh, things get complicated. There are greater, in, there is a greater interplay between individuals and there is a need to bind individuals through this chain of, uh, of rules and obligations. Which is, not, which is what the law is all about. So therefore, uh, sports law becomes uh, relevant or sports law becomes a, a, a field in itself because of the fact that uh, sports has, you know, sports is probably ancient. I mean, we know of the Olympics in Rome. So, but uh, because of the manner in which sports has progressed, has expanded its footprint all over the world. And it is not merely a group of people enjoying themselves or doing a, an athletic activity, but it is really a big business and it is it has so many dimensions to it, be it broadcasting, be it players' rights, be it anti-doping, be it, uh, be it associations, uh, sports associations. Uh, so therefore, because of these, because of the interplay between all these different entities and because of the complex and intricate nature uh, of uh, international sports today, that you have this whole burgeoning field of sports law. So that explains why at all you have something called sports law. Now, coming to, you know, my personal experiences, I would, uh, you know, at a very general level, I've had the opportunity and the benefit of uh, dabbling in this uh, field of sports law in the last, you know, uh, 10 years of my practice. And and it has been in diverse contexts. It has been in the context of uh, associations, sports associations, where there are disputes inter se between the members of the association, then there are disputes between uh, different sports associations, uh, between themselves at the state level, at the national level, even at the international level. Uh, 
and also in the realm of uh, in the realm of um, sports sponsorships sponsorships of 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 uh, sports entities such as clubs and um, and uh, and associations which uh, collaborate with various uh, corporate sponsors or third parties uh, with a view to uh, with a view to kind of meet the requirements of a very competitive and fast paced uh, international and national uh, sporting scenario where uh, clubs and uh, and teams and, and 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 associations need to be completely uh, at pace so far as corporate sponsorships are concerned so far as employment of top notch talent is concerned so far as expanding the footprints of a, a sporting entity such as a club to allied fields such as merchandise such as brand uh, brand endorsement whether where the sports club or the sports entity itself is a is a, is a brand which is tapped into by various uh, corporates and by the club itself so as to uh, commercially exploit its name or to commercially exploit its brand with a view to self perpetuate itself and to make make it a viable uh, commercial venture for itself and also for its players and for uh, for the sporting fraternity as a whole it's clear for us to see that it's definitely a very vast topic um like any other field in law it has many aspects to it um one thing that you talked about that we'd like to highlight is um the contractual obligations part so if you're a sporting entity the if you're say a football club you have players contractually obligated to play for you um in light of the global pandemic do you think like there are a lot of complications to player contracts does it change you know the specificities in the contract itself um is the pandemic one of the situations where a lot of things in the contract might not be applicable at this point can you highlight um what challenges an organization would face when dealing with such contracts when certain emergencies like the pandemic may arise yes of course so the pandemic um uh, the pandemic is a situation which the whole world and the whole commercial world is is grappling with at the moment and as i mentioned uh, you see be it sports be it any other field uh, eventually it is it is bound by a chain of contractual relations so be it between the player and the and the club or say be it between the between the club and uh, say its sponsors it be their broadcasting sponsors merchandise sponsors or even uh, say between uh, between maybe government entities and the club be- between different uh, sporting entities across nations and between say organizers of say tournaments and uh, these sporting entities so all of these are a chain of contractual relations so as with any other contractual relation uh, events like the pandemic have a definite impact so sports is sports, sports contracts are no exception to that and therefore one has to look at the pandemic uh, at at um, at the no- novel corona uh, virus epidemic as a force majeure situation and a situation a force majeure situation is a common law concept which acts as an exception to performance of contractual obligations which kind of waves by operation of law 
the obligations of parties to perform under a contract and it is a standard clause that you will find in almost every commercial contract where parties are uh, are partly or wholly uh, exempted from performing their obligations under the contract in the upon the occurrence of one of the several force majeure events which could include a plague such as the present pandemic or it could be or it could also include things like floods like uh, like uh, 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 earthquakes like fires or any other such situation which is beyond the control of the contracting parties so there is a broader concept of vis major or act of god in common law which is basically uh, another which is basically uh, another uh, term so to say for a force major event which is basically these are these are events which create a situation of supervening impossibility of performance so therefore if the performance of contractual obligations becomes impossible uh, for no fault of the parties then parties are entitled to take the refuge under the under this under this principle of force majeure and their contractual obligations are either waived or they are suspended for a certain period of time within which it is reasonably expected that the uh, force major event will pass or there will be greater movement towards normalcy or in the further alternative uh, after this when it where it appears that there is no reasonable likelihood of the um, of of things normalizing the contract may provide that the parties will be at liberty to terminate the agreement and uh, there will be no you know whatever obligations have already been incurred before the force major event has occurred or perhaps it will provide for that or there might even be a complete um, accord on accord on satisfaction so far as the mutual rights and obligations under the contract are concerned so definitely just as in any other contractual sphere uh, force major events have a uh, have their uh, definite set of consequences even for sports contracts which could include uh, as inesh will also give you the will explain that in the context of uh, some of the recent uh, events in the world of sports where individual sports persons have got into uh, got into disputes with their uh, with their parent bodies or their employers and they have found a way of resolving the issue and uh, you know so therefore it could therefore just to before I, before i hand it over to ainesh uh, so a, a given force major event could mean that the club is not obligated to pay the players or is not obligated to play the players for a season where there is no sporting activity on account of a event such as the pandemic but of course there could be greater complications for example if a you know at the end of the day a player signs up for one club so in effect even if he is not an employee of the club the relationship is somewhat akin to that of an employer employee because he doesn't have any other source of employment so how that will of course work out as will also appear from messi's example which i think inesh will elaborate further that it also depends on the uh, on the kind of player what is his bargaining power and how well he is placed so as to uh, negotiate with the club inesh why don't you throw some light on the yeah so basically like yeah so basically like i was because of the pandemic i was really interested to see in football how would transfers actually happen right so like how would the clubs get creative and stuff like that but like two deals like messi's deal obviously was the news of the transfer window but two deals that actually really stuck with me were made by tottenham 
So Gareth Bale's loan deal and uh, Regulon's move to Tottenham. Both these deals had such complexities because uh, Real Madrid said for the Regulon deal, they said that we want a buyback clause, which basically means that in the future they can buy buy him back from the club at a specified amount. So these small things which were added to the contracts to make it more creative, like just to favor them when you know the clubs were not willing to spend cash was really interesting to me. And obviously Messi's deal was like the news of the summer, right? Like he wanted to leave and he was not allowed to leave because of a small thing where it said end of the season and because of COVID, the season was extended. So based on technicalities, he was not allowed to leave. In the middle, we see. So the uh, what's interesting about that is uh, Shonar, you spoke about bargaining power in yeah. in these situations when it comes down to you know where you are placed in terms of your relationship with the club and things like that. But uh, the Messi situation was was complicated in that he had a specific date before which he had to terminate his contract, which I think was the tenth of August, if I'm not wrong, and the season extended beyond that and. That was what Barcelona was kind of arguing that because the date has passed, he cannot terminate his contract and leave on a yeah. free. And what I want to know from either you or Shatadru, maybe can weigh in on this as well, is if that if that if he kind of forced to move out and that actually went to court, where Barcelona kind of sued him, took him to court. Where do you, in your like legal opinion, how do you think that that hearing would go? Because it seems like both of them have. Fair arguments, but um, what is the legal kind of aspect of that? So, so therefore, it will actually depend on what the exact uh, language of the contract is. It will depend on um, what is the intention of the parties when the contract is executed. Uh, So, for example, if it is clear from the reading of the contract that uh, that the parties are bound to continue with this arrangement for a certain duration of time. And it was the intention of the parties that this contract will not be terminated before expiry of that period. Then possibly the court will take a view which is more, which is favorable to the club, as opposed to a situation where, where the reading of the contractual terms indicate that, that although it was for a certain duration of t- time, uh, uh, the understanding between the parties was that it could be terminated at any time prior thereto. So, of course, see, eventually this will result in larger questions as to whether you can have a contract which is not terminable at all. Like, eventually, it is so that the, the, the molding of release will happen like this, that uh, a party, say, for example, if the club were to approach the court, they would seek a specific performance of the contract. They would seek a decree from the court that uh, that the player be compelled uh, to continue playing for the club. Now, the court may or may not grant that relief. The court, if even if the court, uh, assuming is assuming that the court is convinced and is satisfied with the with the contention raised by the club that the breach that there was a breach on the part of the player in not continuing with the with the contractual agreement. Uh, the court may still direct the player to compensate the club in damages as opposed to compelling the player to continue playing with the club. Because eventually, contracts of this nature, I mean, there's one school of thought which will 
uh, which uh, which would uh, suggest that contracts of this nature are there are by their very nature terminable you cannot force a person to uh, a person a party to an agreement to keep performing or to keep playing for a uh, for for a club i mean you can always if you feel that there has been a breach you can direct that party to compensate uh, the uh, the the party which is alleging the breach but you cannot possibly compel a a, a player to continue playing i mean it depends it all depends on how, what the exact wordings of the contract are how the court whether the court feels that uh, damages can be a compensation for example an argument against uh, grant of alternative uh, damages in 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 courts is to say that the breach is such that it cannot be compensated in damages so for example if uh, if i was uh, conducting the case for the club i would have to i would try my effort would be to demonstrate that the club put in so much of uh, uh, put in uh, changed the circumstance in such a way it put in so much of money so much of publicity so much of uh, the opportunity cost was such that to go for first player x it let go of player y and because of this its chances in a particular season are affected by the absence of this player its chances in a particular season uh, would be affected so irreparably that um, that uh, mere monetary compensation would not be would not would not suffice so in a situation like this uh, the court may be convinced to reach a conclusion that no no for this season he has to play because it is not for example if a player decides to walk out of a contract say two weeks before the before the before the tournament so in such a situation obviously in two weeks time it is not possible for the club to get another player or a player of the same standing so in a situation like that it might very well be for the arbitral tribunal or the court to say that no no it is not possible no amount of money compensation can uh can can uh, can suffice and you have to play this tournament after that if whatever if you have to part ways you have to part ways but as far as this tournament is concerned you have to go ahead and play but on the other hand it, there could be a situation where the player indicates in the beginning of the season itself that he doesn't want to continue so then there is enough there may be enough time for uh, for the club to find a replacement or uh, say if they have if if they can quantify the losses that they have suffered that they will suffer as a result of this player backing out and they can put a figure to that and they can satisfy the court that this is the total loss that they are likely to suffer then the court will probably compensate them in damages without a uh, kind of uh, forcing the player to 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 keep playing for the club so that's actually uh, very interesting about how you would approach um arguing for the club um it's uh how, so it's always been weird to me how they would kind of quantify these values how they would quantify their losses in terms of losing a player and things like that but what what i uh, what i've always been curious about is in terms of having to pay damages to the parent club let's say someone is leaving or is trying to leave club a to move to club b and the courts say that you know club a has to be comp- compensated uh in uh, how you explained it would club b bear compensation or is that something that would just uh have to be borne by the player um himself in order to force it all, dep- it all depends on the facts no like for example if the suit is 
if if for example uh, they are able to establish that that the, that the second club has a role to play in this departure maybe our suit can be framed in a manner to as to make the other club also a party because other club has poached but then eventually you have to understand that these are all uh, these are not contracts uh, i mean a player is is fully competent to contract so therefore you can't say that a player can be influenced by some third party or a club eventually the con- the privity of contract is between the player and the club i mean the first club there is no privity of contract between the first club and the second club so therefore it is it is a very it would be a very uphill task for uh, say club a to get to get any kind of relief except for injunctive relief of course if they are able to satisfy the court that um, damages is not a comp- is not it is not compensable in damages then of course if they will seek specific performance they will have to back it with an injunctive relief that they will seek a, so so therefore these are two faces of the coin one relief is that um, mr x or miss x we be compelled to keep playing for uh, club y during the subsistence of this off season and the second prayer will be injunction restraining club uh, in individual y from playing for any other entity including club z so therefore obviously when such an injunctive relief is sought it will have its consequences even for the other club and maybe the other club will be made a party to the suit so that they know that there is a dispute and they know this will also be a deterrent for them in certain situations to kind of engage with this player because they will know that tomorrow if we put in money and we engage him he may suffer a court injunction and then he will not be able to uh, play for us so obviously they will know that you know it might be putting money in the wrong basket so so that is i mean that this all depends on the facts of a given case and how you know the parties decide to proceed in the matter so there cannot be one general answer to that question so sadadru um in your experience um i'd like to know i'm interested in knowing like in sports it's clear for us to see that in sports organization the sports competitions um there are a lot of complexities so there can be litigations arising from lot of intricate matters right um in your experience can you without getting into specific details maybe can you explain to us or give us an idea or give us an anecdote of a certain interesting litigation in a sports organization that you've come across in your experience in your time yes of course so i would i would do that so um uh, you know you see it is not really spe- uh, i have come across more than one instance of a similar situation because lot of the uh, litigation in india concerning sports bodies is in the context of sports federations so sports federations are typically uh, bodies through which uh, sports federations or societies are where it it operates at three levels it's like a pyramid say for example if you take any olympic sports uh, at the top of the pyramid is the international olympic association at the first uh, tier under under that you have the uh, you have the indian uh, olympic association and then the indian olympic association will then have its uh, there'll be a state olympic aso- state association uh, which is uh, affiliated there is a state olympic association also and then there will be sports associations which are affiliated to the state uh, to the state olympic association and of course there will be a national sports association also which would be affiliated to the indian olympic association so this is how it usually the structure works so uh, 
so in this structure there are several possibilities of a dispute so at the first at the very first uh, at the bottom of the pyramid is the is the association which is basically the body which is uh, responsible for any given sport so whether it is cricket or hockey or football or tennis so there will be a particular state level association which will be responsible for the conduct of the affairs of that sport in a particular state now that association will obviously have its members who will be its members its members will be the different clubs or the different uh, uh, different uh, entities which are conducting uh, which are participating in the state level or district level competitions so these entities will be typically organized in the form of societies having a registration with the society under with the so registrar of societies in that particular state and they will be organized uh, so a society uh, like a corporate board, uh, entity has its own is a jural entity it has its own recognition in law it can sue and it be sued in its own name and it is the affairs of a of just as the affairs of a company are conducted by board of directors the affairs of a society are conducted by its by by its executive committee or sub committees so there could be so therefore these are all elected these are democratic bodies so the members of a committee are elected through a process of election so there and and it will have a set of office bearers there will be a president there will be a secretary there will be a secretary general there will be a treasurer there will be executive committee members so therefore the first level of dispute will be in uh, would arise in situations where uh, there are different contesting parties which are trying to get elected to the uh, to 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 the executive committee of a particular society or a particular club so this is the first level of dispute the next level of dispute becomes as to say that say uh, if you have a say a state level tennis association or state level cricket association it will have its it will have uh, different uh, constituents so different clubs etc will be members of the uh, state level association so now there could be a dispute at that uh, at that stage also so for example the different clubs and constituents will elect the office bearers of the state association so there could again be a dispute over there there could also be a dispute where uh, you in certain sports for example um, uh, the the it is not structured in a manner that there is that that the, the, there are different state level associations and the state level associations go and participate in the national association it could very well be that there are more than one entities or there are more than one, there is no uh, there is no tier so to say of a state association like that so there could be directly uh, you could have a, a national level association and the different constituent members are members of the national level association possibly it is in football it is something to my knowledge as far as i know in there is in lot in sports such as hockey and also in football it is something like that so for example you will have the uh, you will have the national sports federation of a particular sports and its members will be different clubs and associations which are uh, uh, which are conducting the sports in their respective states so therefore they of course it will all depend so now you will have to then look at the bylaws of the national sports federation so whether that provides that you will have two representatives from a state or it provides there will be one representative from a state how will the how will you determine which which is that uh, association which is going to be the representative of a particular state there will be a set of objective criteria to decide what decide the affiliation of that 
uh, or, or the representation of that uh, sports uh, of that uh, club or their association at the national level. So this is the second level of dispute. There could also be a dispute as to election of members to the to the national federation. Then the next level of dispute is when you go to the international federation. So the international federation typically will have one. So if you have, you see one, you so so therefore uh, you if for example if you look at the international hockey federation so the international hockey federation will typically have one representative from india now that particular so for example if there are there was a point of time where the two different associations were fighting it out before the international hockey federation so they were trying to then the questions would arise as to what are the objective criteria that the international association prescribes so it could it could include object objective criteria such as for example affiliation with the national sports federation or recognition by the international olympic association so therefore at the international level also there could be a dispute and now you have the court of arbitration for sports in switzerland in lausanne in switzerland so which is a body which is to which has been constituted internationally to look into this kind of dispute so i remember we are in fact represented one of the national sports bodies before the uh, before the cas which is a, a few years back so so therefore it is it it has different there are different levels of uh, disputes that can arise and of course there are also disputes in 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 the matter of grants in the matter of recognition by the ministry of sports in the matter of derecognition where a particular sports for example there is the national sports court so one of the grounds on which a sports body may say be deaffiliated or maybe derecognized is if it does not satisfy the requirements under the national sports code or uh, one particular body may be given preference over another because it satisfies the requirements under the national sports code it has a that kind of a constitution which is compliant with the requirements of the national sports code so therefore these are all you know there are complex issues which arise as a result of the manner in which sports bodies are um, are so to say structured and it is like any other you know there is power play there is uh there it is there is a lot of competition so as to uh decide who is going to control the affairs you know from the just as in elections from the municipal or the district level right up to the parliament you have different levels of competition so similarly in the world of sports also right from the district level right to our, to the national and international level there is a lot of competition and lot of um, uh, you know uh, it is it is a tough battle so as to uh, so as to represent the the district the state the nation in in different sporting bodies right um yeah this was pretty uh, interesting i'd like to bring the conversation back a little bit to what chatadru touched upon right at the beginning where he talks about how vast sports law is as a field per se and you have so many other sections when it comes to sponsorship and broadcasting rights disputes and so on so in general terms for an individual if they wanted to be competent competent enough to deal with issues like this would you be um getting an understanding on education if you do sports law in all these sectors or are these subsections under sports law where you can do uh, just player contracts or just things pertaining to sponsorship or just pertaining to uh, broadcasting rights issues do you need to be um um need to have some specialized knowledge in these particular 
areas per se to tackle these problems or if you just do uh, sports law and uh, you will be able to understand all these different branches no, that you spoke of i don't think that uh, we have that level of specialization at least in india that you can look at only sports contracts or i mean we have we are still in we are still moving in that direction but it's still very early days and you cannot really i mean of course you can get a specialization from a university in india or abroad. i don't know if there is there are indian universities offering a specialization but possibly they are diplomas uh, now if you get an international you uh, attend an international university where they are teaching sports law as a specialization uh, you may possibly look at uh, these different dimensions but to say that and in jurisdictions where there is that degree of specialization there there is a lot of work in a particular field for example there is a lot of work in uh, in 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 a subset as you mentioned like for example in sport player sponsorships or employment contracts of players or in the field of broadcasting of sports so then there could be lawyers or professionals who are specializing in those areas and i mean inesh will uh, will also agree that it would it could it could apply similarly for people who are who are sports managers and who are who are in the area of funding or in the area of managing uh, sports entities and players so unless there is that level of specialization you cannot really uh, it is not uh, reasonable to expect that people can uh, limit themselves uh, in this in that sense okay all right and um, to uh, inesh in particular it's quite interesting because i understand that you are uh, in transition from a management source to law per se so for you personally how did you go about or what got you interested to make this transition and at this point what do you see in terms of transferability of skills where your management background is helpful in trying to um, uh, help you settle into the law um, sector of it so sports law in general has really always sparked interest in me because of like imagine also contracts play a big role uh, management is all about contracts basically so when i was basically like you know watching these football deals and all these they're really interesting and uh, both my parents being lawyers i've always seen them work first hand so law was always something i wanted to know more about but in school we were never really told what law was really about we just had commerce science and all that so but when i actually mentioned adru i spoke to him he told me a lot he taught me a lot about different thing aspects of law and that really sparked an interest in me and i noticed a lot of similarities between what i had studied and what was happening in law it was just about finding a solution the law was there so um i have a question like in general if i were to um pursue a career in sports law right um what would your advice be because what i uh, gather from what shatadru said um is to practice um generalization rather than specialization because it might not exist in india right so if i were to venture into a career in sports law do i is there an opportunity to specialize in it if not even if i pursue general a general law degree or general career in law um are there enough opportunities for me or enough projects available to me to uh, invest in you know sports law as a domain yeah so the uh, point 
Hey, Ryanish, I think you should take this. Sorry, before he takes over, like, I just, because I was looking at sports law as a thing, I just want to say a couple of things. Like, basically, when I was looking at sports law, it's not that big in India as of now, but that is also because sports has just taken a major step in India, like, because of the IPL, because of the badminton, I mean, like, all the sports have been getting a league on their own. The, spo- the sponsorship, the money, everything is flowing in very recently in India. So, that's why I feel like sports law will definitely grow into something big. But right now, it's still in its beginning stages. So, there's not much specialization there. But yeah, so now I think he can explain it to you better. I, I agree with what Ayanesh um, has mentioned. That eventually, uh, the viability of a professional career in any field is dependent on the kind of economics involved and the extent to which there has been commercialization or there has been, as I said, it's... In the role of lawyers or document or people preparing documents or um, or even any other, I mean, fund managers comes in depending on the volume of uh, transaction involved. So as Ainesh rightly mentioned that uh, sports commercialization of sports is only just uh, picking up in India. And until even 10 years back, it was only cricket. And you see, because tennis uh, was always there, but tennis India, is, it is not really a... Uh, it is an individual sports. So when it comes to individual sports, the degree of commercialization is not comparable. I mean, it could be uh, even assuming that you had, you know, Indian teams have played, I mean, comparatively quite decently in tennis or, for example, if you look at a sports like billiards or even badminton for that matter. But because these are individual sports, uh, uh, the degree of uh, commercialization is all the more lesser because it eventually boils down boils down to individuals and it is obviously a certain degree of elitism is attached to individual sports so say you cannot pop, expect a tennis to become a, as po- or, or or even golf to become as popular a sport uh, uh, amongst the large uh, number of people as say a cricket or a football can and the reason, and that directly impacts the commercial exploitation of that sport. Because obviously, sponsors are going to put in their money in a particular sport, which has a wide viewership. And viewership would again depend on how uh, how accustomed or how uh, how familiar, rather, people are to that particular sports. So, you, so, for example, a cricket is something which is understood in every nook and cranny of, of this country. Likewise, for a very long time, hockey was was one such sport. Football in certain parts of the country is understood uh, in, a, in widely, but uh, say a tennis or a golf or a billiards would not be understood in the same way. So, therefore, you cannot be uh, corporate sponsors are not going to put in their money in something which would not result in that kind of commercial exploitation. Beyond, say, of course. For example, you might have a few big sports stars in in these fields. Like, for example, you had Leander Pace. So there could be sponsors who are interested in investing in Leander Pace as a brand. But not so much in tennis itself because that sport would not garner that kind of uh, commercial value as, say, a cricket would, which would be watched by people on television, which would be watched by people in stadiums, which would be listened to on the radio. So therefore, eventually... uh, as and when there is greater commercialization, there is greater interest in sports and it, 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 it reaches the masses of people, uh, uh, there will be more sponsorship, there will be more investment. And as there is more investment, as there are 
you see, if you just look at the volume of player contracts, I mean, the kind of money that is involved, it is minuscule compared to say the say say base uh, you know basketball players in the US or baseball players in the US compared their contracts with say footballers in India. I mean, it's it's not even comparable. So therefore, cricketers are there, but you even then, I mean, it's not comparable to what top sports persons earn internationally. So obviously, so if you see a movie like Jerry Maguire, which was about uh, about sports law in a sense, so there basically it is because of the kind of money, kind of volumes of contract that those players were uh, were entering into that you had a lawyer, a, a, a very dynamic uh, character uh, of the protagonist who was who was chasing these sports persons, who was chasing chasing their sponsors, and who was making a living out of it. So obviously that kind of hectic activity would not be there in India in the arena of sports contracts because you, first of all, you would not have that kind of competition. And secondly, you would not have that kind. I mean, of course, IPL has been a game changer. So IPL is probably a comparable situation where you actually have clubs vying and fighting to get these players and the players are in a position to kind of up their values and to up the bargain. But other than IPL, in for example, in football, I don't think there is that kind of situation today that you have players who, who can really bargain with uh, football clubs and say that if you do not pay me X, I'll go to Y. You know, it doesn't, it, it hasn't picked up to the same level. As and when it does, obviously the stakes will go up and as the stakes go up, professionals like uh, lawyers, like, man, like professional managers, like uh, uh, like people who are in the field of media and broadcasting, the, all these people will, uh, even event managers, all these kind of people will get, the, their volumes will also go up depending on the overall volume. So because eventually these are all, law is also service industry. So a service industry typically depend, is, is, depends on what the, the real business or the cream of the, the, the real heart of the matter is in the business or the activity itself. And uh, service industry is always ancillary to that. So law would always be an ancillary field. So it would be ancillary to the male commercial activity, which in this case would be sports. So if the volume of sports, volume of sponsorship goes up, people like uh, lawyers would, would have more business. So, but they themselves are not a productive arm of the economy. Lawyers are not a productive arm. They are always an, you should see, for example, in a company, you have people who are employed as lawyers, but they're always the overhead because lawyers and accountants are basically servicing the, uh, the company itself. They are not earning money for the company. So therefore, even when they're working as independent individuals or as firm organized as firms of lawyers, they are not really earning money. They are uh, servicing the needs of an industry, which uh, requires their advice or requires their assistance, so as to go ahead with these contractual relations. But they are not—they uh, are not really bringing in money in that sense. So eventually, so the job of getting a sponsor will probably be that of a of a third party, of a of of, of a professional whose job it is to get a sponsor. Although, and sometimes there is a lot of it is not as clear cut as that, and there might be situations where professionals are straddling different roles. I mean, they are also getting you a sponsor at the same time they are helping. But it's not strictly speaking, theoretically, that is not usual. I mean, eventually you will have to engage a professional manager. For example, a sports person will need a professional manager to get him a sports to get him a, 
uh, to to get him employment with the club. The profession it's not the lawyer's job technically to get that. At least in India, it is not like that. In the in the US, for example, it might be different. But in India, typically lawyers will come into the picture only after the basic commercial understanding is in place and the player has already been approached by the club, and then the lawyer comes into the picture to draft out the documents or negotiate on behalf of the player or the club, as the case may be. So, uh, uh, we do completely agree where uh, it is nice to see now that there is a lot more sponsorship being poured in, for example, to pro Kabaddi, to the ISL, things like that. Sports are getting a lot bigger in this country and there is more investment. So hopefully we will reach a stage where, you know, players are adequately compensated and you can have hyper specializations in the field of sports law. There was one situation just before we wrap up. Uh, there was one situation that I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about because it's very interesting uh, uh, from the perspective of sports law. It was um, the FIFA, it's a FIFA situation. It was a FIFA World Cup that was held in Brazil. And I'm not sure if you guys would be familiar with it, but what had happened essentially was FIFA, um, at, uh, when, when, it is, uh, when a country wins the bid to kind of host, their, uh, host the World Cup in their country, um, all the when all the kind of stadiums are being built, you know, the infrastructure is being built. Um, FIFA comes in and kind of has their own, like they set up their own courts of law in the country um, that are specialized to deal with all the FIFA uh, disputes and things like that. And one major dispute that had happened in Brazil was that in every stadium in Brazil, it was a, a law that you could not consume alcohol in the stadium because they had had incidents where it had kind of got a bit, a bit violent, which is why there was a national law that said that alcohol consumption in stadiums was illegal. Now FIFA came and they kind of set up their, uh, their courts and they passed a, like a, uh, a law that would kind of overrule this law because FIFA's biggest, one of FIFA's biggest sponsors is Budweiser. And so they passed a law that would say that Budweiser could sell their product at the stadiums. Now, I, I want to hear kind of your perspectives on how they can kind of strong arm this country's government into kind of caving and allowing them to sell alcohol when it is nationally illegal for them to do that. I mean, that's a product of, of the capitalist system. So anywhere, I mean, multinational corporations have that kind of power and influence over to, to, uh, uh, to kind of influence governmental policies. So that is true for any, uh, why only a multinational corporation, even say a Tata or maybe a, a big reliance in India has that kind of leverage with the government or with the authorities or the powers that be to kind of influence uh, uh, national policy. So, I mean, that is nothing. I mean, it's, it's a, pro I'm sure Today, to, if if special treatment, I am uh, honestly I am not very well acquainted with the facts that you mentioned. But assuming on what you know, just assuming whatever you stated, uh, if for example Budweiser was being given preferential treatment, it would be open to some other uh, liquor brand to maybe challenge it in a court and say that this is discriminatory treatment. You can't, uh, you can't, uh, uh, and and that arrangement with Budweiser would then have to pass the scrutiny of the quarter authority, which, or whatever these FIFA courts, as you mentioned, that which are, uh, uh, which are faced with a dispute like that. So it, I mean, there are 
always uh, you know situations like this but you also have the um, uh, you also have the courts and the tribunals and uh, other authorities which are meant to resolve these issues so for mm-hmm. example if a leading judgment in the field of sports law in india is that of z telefilms where the contract of z telefilms was cancelled by bcci and z telefilms uh, approached the courts and eventually the supreme court where uh, they they filed a writ petition against uh, the bcci and the supreme court eventually held that the bcc uh, writ petition as you i, I don't know how, how familiar you are with it but writ writ petitions are basically filed to invoke the extraordinary uh, jurisdiction of the high courts and the supreme court uh, typically these are under the constitution this is an exercise of these are this is an exercise of constitutional remedies which are available uh, to a party which is aggrieved by actions of the state so it it t- typically does not apply to private respondents so where the respondent is a state a party can approach a constitutional court such as the high court or the supreme court to seek relief now z telephones uh, was trying to contend so there are certain tests which the courts have laid down in india to determine what is a st- what is a state body so one of course is ownership so if for example the government of india owns over a certain percentage of the shareholdings in a corporation that becomes a part of state it also depends on whether it is a statutory body for example the airports authority of india it's a statutory body so it is formed by statute so therefore it automatically becomes part of an instrumentality of the state another test which in the although in in, in the case, in the facts of bcci this the majority view of the supreme court was that bcci is not state so writ petition under article 32 would not be maintainable all but the supreme court also said that there might be situations where a private body performs public functions so for example so the jurisdiction of the supreme court under article 32 is more limited than that of the high courts under article 226 which is also a similar power to be exercised against state bodies but the supreme court said in z telefilms that uh, you know it would be open in a given situation to for a for a person aggrieved by the actions of a private body performing a public function to approach the court and to say that no this part this although it's a private body because it is performing a public function it is akin to state so therefore we can get we don't have to file a civil suit or go to a wrong long drawn process we should be given justice under the constitutional framework so so therefore it is uh, so because uh, in a situation like this uh, where today if say the ifa was to do something in india possibly you know a, a petitioner could file a writ petition in the high court and say that ifa is performing a public function because ifa is promoting a sport of sport of football which is a which is in the nature of a public function because it is it is sending a team to represent the country internationally so that is in the nature of a public function of course i mean this is left to a particular case we are not today arguing a case against ifa but i am just suggesting that there are different recourses that are available so if ifa were to do something like what uh, you are mentioning happened in brazil possibly a, a you know kingfisher could approach the court and say that no no how can budweiser be given this kind of uh, treatment uh, and then of course the court would be called upon to decide that uh, first of all to see whether the action itself is falls within the constitutional scheme or of course it could relegate the parties to some other proceedings such as a civil suit and they would say that no no this is not a public function so therefore uh, we will not get into it in exercise of our powers under the constitution but we can you can file a suit or you can file a civil proceeding or an arbitration proceeding depending on the contractual arrangement that you have 
so there is always a recourse available all actions which are taken by private or public individuals in a country at least in our system is 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 open to judicial review so there is always a recourse available for parties for corporations or entities to challenge uh, actions of the state or of uh, or of independent uh, institutions or sports bodies and as and when these uh, uh, things uh, you know parties approach knock the doors of the courts the courts are faced with these situations and the courts deal with uh, deal with those situations on a case to case basis as on date there is no codified sports law in india unlike some jurisdictions but that it is in bits and parts so there is a sports code then there is a law which governs associations then you know there would be judgments of the supreme court and high court which would govern various aspects of sports law in india but there is no one single codified uh, uh, you know statute so to say also like coming to your question like how could fifa overrule it if you see like we spoke about it earlier was about bargaining power as well right because fifa holds the bargaining power here because if they pull out of brazil with that tournament fifa's fifa world cup is one of the most watched sport like it is the most watched sport so if they pull out it will be a huge loss to brazil right in the different sectors i think the the issue there is they also don't provide adequate financial um kind of support to the host country but i understand like how they would have i mean hold all the chips in that situation all right guys with that we've come to the end of the episode um thanks a lot shatadru and ainesh uh, shatadru good luck to you and ainesh good luck for your applications um rick and arjun thanks for being amazing hosts um uh, we'll see you guys next time yeah thanks to all thanks of you and for you know g- giving us this opportunity to reach out to and try to be of some kind of you know hopefully some kind of assistance to to your larger pool of uh, people followers um uh, and we look forward to further association in the future for sure for, for listening with uh, who don't have an understanding of this domain it's been really useful for us as well because we for us this was an introduction into sports law and and it covered various aspects of it Bye-bye.